we have time for some question and answers. Let's start out with questions about meditation, perhaps about the most recent meditation. That's okay. If, if there's a visual image that appears that helps you to stay engaged with the breath, then that's fine. What will happen at some point, it will not only not be necessary, it will be a nuisance and you'll just naturally let it fall away. Let me say a little bit about <clears throat> the sensations of the breath. you want to do, well, meditation is about being present. It's about getting as close as you can to reality, ultimate reality, relative reality, reality, reality. <coughs> getting as close as you can to it. So, to begin with, when we put our attention on the sensations of the breath, even those sensations are the result of a considerable fabrication. And normally, when you think about the breath, and normally when you pay attention to the breath, what is actually appearing in consciousness is a very elaborate construct made out of many simpler constructs. As you go along, some of that begins to fall away. And you have a somewhat clearer perception of what's actually taking place. <clears throat> you impute air. You have never experienced air in your life. You know what I mean? You impute the existence of air. On the basis of what? On the basis of sensations. Right? You impute the existence of your nose. But you have never had a direct experience of noseness. <laughs> Seems like it. But you've had visual experiences, look at somebody else's nose right now, but that's not even what your eye is seeing. Your eye is not seeing nose. Your eye is seeing color, light, pattern. Your mind, your mind is doing all this. This is all the fabrication of your mind. The air and breath, nose and everything else. These are fabrications that we're trying to we're trying to get as close as we can to what's actually happening. What's actually happening is that you're focusing your attention on the sensations that are arising. But even those sensations are fabrications. You have one of those sensations will be warmth. 
What is warmth? It's a fabrication in your mind. It's an interpretation of something subtler than that. The same thing, pressure, movement, all of these things are even such simple things as these, what seem to be the sensations of pressure and warmth and movement and so forth. These two are fabrications of the mind. <coughs> now, to be able to see through these appearances to what's actually there, we need, we need to be able to stabilize the attention on them. And we need, we need to be able to develop as much clarity of mind as possible. And as we go along in this process, there are things that we will very deliberately do that lead to that part of your mind which is generating all of these conceptualizations beginning to be quiescent, beginning to quiet down, to stop intervening. And when they stop intervening, you'll start to experience sensation itself more and more as it actually is. But first, you have to be able to be fully present with what's actually happening in the moment and you need to be able to train the mind to observe what's there as clearly as possible with the least amount of obscuration. So at the beginning, if you have an image arise, or if you choose to use verbal uh, labels like beginning, middle, end, things like that, it's quite all right because it's going to serve the purpose of keeping you on the target letting you develop this clarity. And really what clarity is, is the opposite of clarity is obscuration. And genuine experience is being obscured by all this conceptualization. Right? So we're moving towards clarity. But you can use these things to help you retain your focus and develop your clarity. When I say they will pass away in due course, there will come a point where that you'll realize that that image is really quite far removed from what you're trying to pay attention to, and it will naturally fall away. That's what you want to happen. That's what you're after. Next question? <laughs> yes? This is about... Proper posture, and I've read and heard, I've read in books and heard people say that you have to be able to sit like in a full lotus position if you want to achieve enlightenment. And um, I wanted to know, you know, if you have any thoughts about that. Don't believe a word of it. <laughs> <laughs> The full lotus position is a very stable position to sit in. And it has a lot of benefits. But uh, a lot of people can't do it. And it's totally not necessary. <laughs> free at last, free at last. <laughs> Thank you, Master Yates. <laughs> 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 
Because in popular culture, they tell you to play bingo and travel. <laughs> is there something you could say that med because meditation doesn't seem to be like those things? What is it about meditation that, that can help somebody who's aging rather than playing those games? <laughs> well, as, as a matter of fact, there's, there is research that has been done and that is being done in progress right now in collection of data that is indicating that meditation, that people who meditate, people who meditate a lot, have much, much less decline in their mental faculties as they age. And of course one of the problems with all meditation research is that meditation can mean many different things. And so a lot of the research that's done is not just comparing apples to oranges, it's comparing chickens to elephants. <laughs> but if you're doing the kind of meditation that I'm teaching you here, you are developing your mental faculties to a very high degree. You're not specifically exercising memory the way you would during crossword puzzles. But you're, you're actually exercising the mental faculties that are ultimately far more important than that. You might need to do something a little different just to preserve memory skills. But cultivating uh, mindful awareness is, is definitely going to uh, allow your mind to function much more clearly for a much longer period. But there are other kinds of meditation that won't do that. Meditation that leads you to blissful la-la states. Mm -hmm. As a matter of fact, I have had teachers, one in particular, insist to me that people who do that kind of meditation, it makes them stupid. <laughs> he claims to have seen not people get old. We've seen young people do these kinds of um, meditations intended to just to produce nice blissful states become stupid before his eyes over a period. <laughs> and I could see that too because it's quite the opposite. What we're talking about here, it's a rigorous kind of mental activity, and the powers. Your mind becomes more fully conscious. You develop uh, a much more penetrating way of, of seeing and understanding things. Tremendous clarity. Yes. Yes. I. Uh, one of my teachers begins his class and ends the class. Sometimes in the middle of the class. 
is uh, he's, he suggests uh, to rest in the natural mind. Mm -hmm. um, I really didn't know, you know, what he, he meant by that until I experienced it. And what that is to me, it it is ineffable. I think it's by its very nature, words limit. There is there's an incredible vastness, and the vastness is. Uh, is time and space. There, there was a uh, and an a heightened awareness, not not a dullness. And I, and I know I, I click into that when uh, when the time is up. And it's like because it, obviously there's no there's no such thing as time anyway. But when when you're actually there experiencing experiencing this absolute vastness in time and space with a heightened awareness. It, 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 the meditation maybe could have gone wrong for a day, a year, who knows? It, it continually blows me away. Am I on the right track? <laughs> I, I think you probably are based on some of the things you're saying, the heightened awareness in particular. That's a very, that's a very important thing. Um, and the, the sense of uh, an open, expansive experience. This is, I'm not quite sure exactly in terms of the terminology I use, what you may be accessing, is uh, somewhat uh, the first of the formless jhanas is somewhat like that, as is uh, the if, if you do an open awareness practice, a Mahamudra practice, when, when the mind is still rather than moving, it's like that. I see. So I, I think it's something along those lines that you're probably entering into. I'd have to talk to you in a lot more detail about your practice. Thank you so much. But uh, does, it doesn't sound like, doesn't sound like you're uh, in a state of dullness. <laughs> I'm just giving you more detailed instructions. It's the same thing. It is, okay. Yeah. And not only am I giving you more detailed instructions, part of that is pointing out to you that it offers the opportunity to understand the relationship between suffering and the resistance to me. Mm -hmm. It's basically the same practice. Direct your attention to to that, examine it, investigate it, objectively. And the Vipassana approach is do it, and it will come. <laughs> I tried that. So now I tell people, do it, and I can give you a few tips that will help me. <laughs> yes? 
every day, and if so, why? Well, the, the main reason that it's best to meditate at the same time every day is that you're more likely to meditate every day if you do that. Uh, there are other reasons in that um, sometimes a day are, are better than others to meditate. And uh, if, you can, if you can structure your day so that you do your meditation at a time that works best for you, which for a lot of people might be in the early morning, after they've gotten up before they've had breakfast. You know, and then you're, what you're doing is you're intentionally taking advantage of, of the most conducive part of the day. But the, the real, the greatest single advantage to always meditating at the same time is that it's, it's one of the most powerful things you can do to make sure that you establish a regular practice. And if you can't meditate the same clock time, you can meditate the same at the same point in your daily routine. Uh, you know, for example, somebody who is working different shifts could, you know, their their daily rhythm is going to change constantly. But there's going to be things that are consistent, so the clock time won't be the same. And of course, there's all kinds of other circumstances. But what's, what you really want to do is to build it into your routine such a way that it's really easy to do it and to not skip it, not have something else come in and displace it. Yes. Um, last year or so I've been having a great deal of trouble with sleep. So when I don't sleep and I try and meditate, it is totally distracting, doesn't work out very well. When I try and take sleep aids, pretty much I end up with the same result. I end up with a very foggy mind um, you know, my concentration isn't good. I certainly can't rise to a place of alertness. Do you have any suggestions? Yes, I do. I, I have a suggestion. Well, one suggestion, if you can't sleep, meditate. That's one suggestion. And one thing that ha happens to a surprising number of meditators, I'm not sure I quite understand it, uh, and for quite a while it was the case with me, and there were other things that changed that. But very often, regular long-term meditators will find themselves spontaneously waking up about two or three in the morning, and they can't go to sleep for a couple of hours. But that's a really, really good time to meditate. <laughs> <laughs> and, uh, you know, if you read uh, what some yogis have to say about their practice, you'll find that very often they refer to getting up and meditating at three in the morning. So, hey, you're, you're in good company if that happens. Yeah. So that's the first thing I would say. If you can't sleep, meditate. But the other thing is that you can use the things that you learn and meditate to help you to sleep better, uh, depending. If it's, if it's your mind that's active, and that's what's keeping